Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. This is a special three-part series with Jamie Vink, who is the COO of Sierra Tucson and also the Chief Clinical Officer at Sierra Tucson. You may recognize the name Sierra Tucson, and that's because we've had Dr. Michael Genovese on this show, who also is with Sierra Tucson. And these people are experts. And the reason I think it's a good idea to have them on is because we've gotten lots of emails from people saying, you know, I think... I think my husband's an addict. I think my son has a problem. You know, I think my girlfriend's doing this. And as, as much as I can share my experience, strength, and hope with you as a recovering addict and alcoholic, I am not an expert, even though my family seems to think I am. <laughs> like, we found this pill. What does it look like? I can usually answer that. But I think for these purposes, it would be better to have these experts answer questions for you. So we're, we're doing this special three-part series for you this week. Today, what we're going to discuss with Jamie is our warning signs, basically. We get through nine warning signs in this episode. It's going to give you a lot to digest, so you might want to listen with a paper and pencil, or you might want to listen several times to get all this. So here we go. Let's talk to Jamie Vink from Sierra Tucson. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Hi, we are joined today on the phone with Jamie Vink, COO of Sierra Tucson, and she's also the Chief Clinical Officer of Sierra Tucson. Hi, welcome to Radio Rehab, Jamie. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much, Dana. I love what we were going to talk about today because it was like, you know, the anniversary of Prince's death came up, and his death was something that totally, it just, it didn't have, he didn't have to die like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many, there's like harm reduction and harm, you know, harm prevention and there's things like that. And then there's like, I know he was trying to get help for his opioid use in the end and it just wasn't in time. And that makes me so sad. So we have a whole list of things I'd like to that, to talk about today, um, starting with warning signs to look for. So before we start on the warning signs, I really want to frame this <clears throat> with the notion that addiction is a primary chronic disease of the brain. And so when we think about someone struggling with an addiction, it's often reflected in really, really the pathological pursuit of the reward and relief of the substance use and the other behavior. And so that's what generates a lot of these behaviors that are extremely out of character from the individual that we know and love. It's so kind of like the wanted... biopsychosocial aspect of exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And the people that we know and love perhaps are no longer visible because the the person struggling with the substance use disorder is so driven for the relief that the reward of that substance provides to them. My mom, my mom once when we were I lived at home, I remember her walking into the room and going, where is my daughter and who is this addict sitting on my couch? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so what ends up happening is that we, we have these behaviors and we see them and oftentimes there's denial because we don't want to believe that someone really is struggling as, as significantly as they may be. So if we think about warning signs, you know, we first thing we do is throw out the stereotypes because, as I know, we're going to talk about highly functioning addicts, and oftentimes it's a tragedy that makes someone see the light or makes someone seek help. And so things to look for so that we don't get to that tragedy, 
The first one is quantity. And part of our diagnostic criteria is using more. It's an increased tolerance. So having to use more of the substance in order to get the desired effect. And so that results in someone drinking a lot more or taking a lot more pills in order to just get to the to the level that they want to be. So be mindful of the quantity. I absolutely experienced that because you you get to a point where you just build up an immunity to it, be Mm -hmm. it alcohol or, I mean, like I would be drinking in the day and people would be like, how are you standing up? And it it was because I was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you know, it's the same thing with pills. I've had people tell me they were up to seven oxys a day, which just seems unbelievable for someone who doesn't have that tolerance built up. But that becomes the norm. So if we're looking for warning signs, look for that person that with alcohol appears not to have a shut-off switch or someone that's had nine beers and they're stone-cold sober or appearing to be. So that's the first thing. Have your eye on quantity. And then the notion of having a stash. Oftentimes people that are really progressing in their addiction have alcohol stashed in an unlikely place like a glove box, a jewelry box, under the kitchen sink, and the same with pill bottles. So have your eyes out for a stash. And then I'm sad to say missing items. Oftentimes when people are really struggling with their addiction, they will take a check out of the middle of a checkbook or they will grab some jewelry that they think someone doesn't wear often so that they can pawn it. So having your eye on missing items. I'm definitely and, guilty of that. And my parents were always telling me, like, yeah, if you live through this, you need to replace our CDs because, sure. I mean, I, I sold their entire CD and record collection and things that were things that were of real value were nailed to the shelves because of me. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's mm-hmm. totally, I mean, it's, shame, it's, so, it's part of the shame of being an addict is the stuff that we do just because we have to get our fix. Absolutely. And, you know, that's part of the the denial on the part of the family members, too, because we don't like to acknowledge that this is really happening. And something else is called and a warning sign is the one that has to prime the pump, the one that always has to pregame, that maybe has three drinks before you go out for the evening. Oh, that's right. Something, I totally that's did. That's yeah. a sign. I did and that, then, too. I, I drank to go to a bar. Mm-hmm. And so these are more warning signs. And then one of my favorites and something that I work on with people that are in treatment is lying when the truth would do just fine. Kind of that double life where the lying becomes addictive. And in order to cover our addiction, we've told so many lies that we start lying about things that the truth would be just fine. I so know that's that's, a, that's so true with addicts because I had a counselor yeah. who who used to say, you know how you can tell an addict is lying, their lips are moving, and it used to make me so angry, but it was so true because, mm-hmm. and she, you know, she would also say that, you know, once she got sober, her life was an open book and she couldn't be blackmailed because, you know, mm-hmm. if you're working on a good program, you stop lying. <laughs> well, that's right. And, you know, as we tell our kids, tell the truth, it makes life easier. So much that's easier. That's the same what we do in recovery. And, you know, something that I'll do with my clients is they, I'll have a journal for them and I'll say, we're going to call this your BS journal. And here you are, stone cold sober, but I want you to take a note every day just note how many lies you tell during the day. And they say, oh, my gosh, I have told 37 lies, and it's only 1130 in the morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> and 
that's because it becomes ingrained. And so I think the lies are something very important to look at when someone's missing an action. You know, if someone misses an important event, if somebody constantly cancels your dinner plans, whatever, that's something to keep your eyes out. And then also when someone switches to vodka, that can also be a telltale sign as well because we know that vodka's easier to hide and there's a higher alcohol content in it, which leads me to the next is that if you're really thinking someone in your household is drinking too much and you still have alcohol in the house, look and see if the alcohol has been watered down. Right. And if they're as stupid as I was when I was a teenager in my parents' house, they put the water in the vodka bottle and put the vodka bottle back in the freezer. I'll never forget how stupid I felt when I did that one. It's like, oh, my God, I don't know what I was thinking. But the whole switching to vodka thing, you know, when I first, because I got clean as an addict, and I was telling myself I wasn't an alcoholic. So when I started drinking, I was drinking, like, wine because I told myself that was normal, even though I hated wine. And it's Mm -hmm. when the vodka came into play because someone made up some stupid story that vodka doesn't smell. It totally does, especially when you drink it daily, all day. You know, but mm-hmm. yeah, that for me, switching to vodka was was when my bottom started. It was when I started to yeah. spiral out of control. That's exactly right. And that's why I wanted to be sure to mention it on the list and the kind of thing to look at if you're concerned about someone into, as an early warning sign. Their world tend to narrow, would tend to narrow too as the addiction takes over their life. You know, addiction is a very jealous lover, jealous friend, and it doesn't make much room for anyone or anything else. So when we see someone's world narrowing, that's also a warning sign. And then excessive sleepiness, always being ill, those are the kinds of things that I always have my eye out for. Yeah, I always say I say the same thing. It's like when I have somebody who, you know, they're talking about a parent or a friend and they're always sick. I'm like, God, that sounds like me when I was drinking and using, you know, Mm -hmm. and I hate to say that, but it's like it's easy for the family to be in denial because as addicts, we're really able to make people. I mean, my my family thought I had just a whole host of medical issues that I didn't really have because Mm -hmm. I needed an excuse to always be under the weather because I was always so sick. That's right. And, you know, now with the opiate epidemic, it, people truly are sick when they're in some sort of withdrawal. And so to tell your parents, your loved ones, boy, I have the flu five days a week. I mean, there is some truth to that because you certainly experience flu-like symptoms in, yeah. in early withdrawal. But that's something, too, that folks need to w- wake up and really be mindful of someone that is chronically ill with those symptoms. Yeah, especially, I mean, yeah, because you're going to the bathroom a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. with opiates, your pupils all of a sudden become huge. I remember that was a weird thing for me is when I was coming off of opiates, because I have, my eye color is light. When I was coming off of opiates, people were always like, you're on something because my pupils Mm -hmm. were so big. When it was really like, no, you're just used to me having heroin pupils. And you yeah. don't you don't realize that my normal pupil size what it is. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's tons yeah, of absolutely. things like that. Yep. So those are really the the main warning signs that I wanted to share today. All right. So much to process in these shows. We've given you so much information, and we've discussed uh, nine warning signs, going from quantity in the beginning to number nine, which is seeing the person's always sick. 
And uh, it's given you a lot to think about. It's, it's given a lot to, you know, say, hey, does somebody I live with have these warning signs? Is somebody showing me these signs um, now that you know them and you've gotten them from an expert? We will be back again tomorrow. This is a three-part series that we're doing. Tomorrow we will be discussing common and often overlooked hiding techniques and reasons why someone may be hiding an addiction. These are all things that are not only fascinating, but they're important to know if you've got something like this going on in your life. If you would like to email us, it's Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. That's G-O-T-O Productions.com. You can call or text 415-496-9511. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. And you can also go to Radio.Rehab and read my blog. Keep coming back. Sex and drugs and rock and roll Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll